the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. I am delighted to welcome to the show John Tierney, someone I've uh, been looking forward to interviewing uh, all day. He is a contributing editor at City Journal, a product of a, produ- a production of the um, Manhattan Institute, a contributing science columnist for the New York Times, and author of the book, the Power, or co-author of the book, The Power of Bad: How the Negativity Effect Rules Us and how we can rule it. His most recent essay is the reason I reached out, The Panic Pandemic, available at city-journal.org. Fear-mongering from journalists, scientists, and politicians did more harm than the virus. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for writing this. Thank you, Seth. I, uh, you know, this, I don't mean to make this a theme for my audience, uh, but, you know, in looking back over the past, what now, year and a half or so, I was doing some other research, um, and I was researching, John, the Reagan campaign of 79-80, and I was thinking about his gift of appealing to the common sense of the American people, and it made me wonder, is that common sense still here? It made me wonder that in context of what you wrote, the crisis crisis, have the American people changed substantially from what we used to know based on what we saw over the last year and a half, particularly mostly through 2020? Well, you know, before the pandemic, I would have said no, because, you know, when you look at polls over the year, you know, surveys over the last few decades, you find people have really not changed their opinions that much. The elites have changed. You know, they've gotten much more polarized and they sort of demonize each other. But people themselves, you know, the uh, majority of the electorate has not changed. But I do find it really bizarre and troubling when you see these polls showing, uh, you know, huge Numbers of people, majority, think that the lockdowns were a great idea. Many of them think that, that we should have done more. And uh, I don't know that people's common sense or, or their their attitudes have shifted so much as that they really have been fooled. You know that the media and and the public health establishment and political leaders have really scared people to death. And and. And, and misled them grossly about the, about the risk from this virus and what steps are effective against it. I mean, you know, I call in the City Journal piece, you know, I think the response to COVID is the greatest mistake in the history of the public health profession. It's just been a disaster. There was no, you know, there's still no evidence that lockdowns save lives, and there's lots of evidence that they end lives, and that and then in the long run, they will prove deadlier than the virus itself. And yet most people don't realize that. Most people don't. They don't want to hear it. And I have to tell you, in the early days, John, so we're talking late February-ish, early March mm-hmm. of a year ago, yeah. there were a few of us who were saying these things prominently, uh, your colleague Heather, uh, I know Dennis Prager on the radio was doing. I wrote some columns with Bill Bennett. I have to tell you, a lot of people on the right weren't with us either. By the way, there was there that this 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 power of panic and fear, either that or the fear of ostrac- uh, being ostracized and censored or deplatformed or 
getting the treatment that some of the people you write about got, like Scott Atlas, so dominated that they just felt cowed or joined the cause. It was odd, I have to tell you. It was odd. Right. There was such a, yeah. I mean, nobody, you know, wanted uh, almost something like this. It's like strike. we were saying All the earth is flat. I really, I, I felt that way. A lot of people were saying, you think the earth is flat. That's what I thought. That's what I felt. No, exactly. And and, and at the very beginning, I mean, one could understand it better because people really didn't know what this virus was. And they didn't, you know, there were the, the specter of the, of the Spanish flu from 1918. And and there is this natural tendency that politicians and journalists, you know, don't want to um, underestimate um, a risk because then if it turns out worse right. than you said, then, right. you know, then you get blamed for it. Everyone remember, oh, you're the one you don't care yeah. that people died. Yeah. You were, you know, whereas if you overestimate it, if you hype the danger, doomsayers rarely get penalized. Right. You know, journalists just go back to quoting them. And in the piece that, you know, I talk about how during the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, yeah, both, yeah. I didn't know that. Both, both, tell people both what Fauci, Fauci was doing. And, yeah, tell them. Tell them. Right, Fauci and Redfield both issued things and got publicity for it then, warning that the AIDS virus could spread through casual contact with children, mm-hmm. that it was about to start spreading as quickly among the heterosexual population as among homosexuals. And, you know, and, and, and this made for terrifying headlines. You know, Life magazine had a cover saying, now no one is safe from AIDS. And yet, you know, they were absolutely wrong and yet didn't hurt their careers, didn't hurt their credibility with journalists. So when they came out with more scary predictions about this virus, then, you know, basically it just got printed again. There is just no penalty for doomsaying. And that's what I call the crisis crisis. The journalists seek out these doomsayers to, to create this perpetual sense of crisis. And it's an old problem. You know, last century, we had the population crisis that was going to doom us and the energy crisis was going to doom us. The media always does this, but it's just gotten so much worse now with, you know, the digital era, with all this competition for ratings around the clock, for, for ratings and clicks and retweets. And the press has gotten so polarized and irresponsible, I think, that it just it just saw this COVID as, boy, this is a great way to scare people and we'll scare them to death. Yes. And you and you were you were you were saying exactly what I was thinking. There is this tendency, particularly amongst the progressive movement, that you have the phrase crisis, crisis. I call it the crisis industrial complex. We're talking about the yep. same thing, I think. That's a good that's a very good phrase. Yeah, I call it the crisis industry. But that's yeah, I know. We're term. on the same yeah. page then. But there, <laughs> yeah. there is this desire. It, the Barry Maguire song, we're on the eve of destruction. You talked about the population, <laughs> Blom. Uh, nuclear winter. Do you remember that? that, that uh, exactly, that, exactly. And that, that came from, you know, famous <laughs> famous astronomers, didn't it, Carl Sagan? Um, right. And there's then this wanting out, to believe. Oops, we miscalculated. Oops, that actually the calculation turned out to be wrong. <laughs> but it seems to have an odd thing to it that people don't want to talk about either underlying it, all of it, even if you go back to the Barry Maguire lyrics, that – it's it's America's fault or it's worse in America. People were rubbing their hands together out of some kind of weird homicidal fantasy when Donald Trump got sick. They were running, rubbing their hands together when they were able to say America's doing worse than any other country on this statistic. They seem to enjoy it. They seem to enjoy it, John. And that was yes, really but- weird. 
It is strange. I mean, people do get, you know, there's a certain thrill in feeling that, you know, you know. I mean, there's always been an appeal to end-of-the-world fantasy. Right. It makes you feel special that something's going on. And there's always been this urge to exploit fears that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, the crisis crisis is something that both sides do. I mean, conservatives hype their own, you know, fears too. But it's much. it's a much bigger problem on the left, I think, because, um, the left wants to expand the power of the state, and you know they want to expand government. And the way you do that is through crises. You know, there's a great book, you know, uh, I'm sure you know, but, uh, called Crisis and Leviathan, showing how yes, whenever right. there's a war right. or a crisis, the government ratchets up in size, and then it never goes back down That's right. uh, to where it was before. And progressives for a century have dreamed that we're going to have a society run by expert social engineers who will. These, you know, these scientific high priests who will figure out the right way for everyone to live and tell us how to do that. And so they seize on these things and they have to and they want to hype something is a terrible problem that requires government action. And COVID was, you know, it was kind of the perfect storm for this. Mike. You know, and, and the power that was seized was just incredible. You know, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't leave your home. You couldn't go to church. You couldn't run, uh, open your business. Um, suddenly all these powers were seized by people who supposedly knew better. And, John, that's that you, you, you were talking about how the people who promote the crisis never never have to have their comeuppance. That's my real question. Next is, will there be an accountability? The answer is no, because it turns out I think some of the problems we were talking about with lockdowns are revealing themselves. We had a headline, 93,000 overdose drug deaths last uh, over the course of last year. That's a number we've never seen before. There's all kinds of other problems. I believe we've devastated an uncountable number of lives in continents like Africa because of what we did to ourselves. And as I say, I mean, these costs are real. These lives are real. They are not 80-year-olds. They are not obese. It, they are mostly young people, by the way. And we went through right. a, and we went through a situation through these so-called quote-unquote scientists and experts that really did punish the children to save eighty-year-olds. I've never, I've, I never thought this could happen. But there does need to be an accountability, John. There really must. Oh, be. there, there does need to be. Uh, yeah, but I, I, mean, I fear be. it's yeah, not going right, to happen. Right. Well. <laughs> Well, the scientists um, who I quote in this, the ones who actually had it right, who issued this great Barrington Declaration right. saying we need to focus protection on the elderly and not lock down society, you know, they've written, you know, they've called for, and I, I certainly agree that there needs to be, you know, an investigation, a commission to look at this. Now, I don't think that that's very likely to happen under the Biden administration, mm-hmm. but maybe, maybe in the Ron DeSantis administration there would be. I mean, he really, you know, it, as I point out in the piece, he actually listened to yep. you know to the scientists who yep. didn't panic, yep. to the great Barrington scientists yep. and the Scott Atlas, and, and he did early did testing. He did everything right, absolutely right. And he he reopened early. He yep. kept the schools open. He didn't do mass mandates. And Florida did better when you adjust for the age of the population. They did better than all but ten other states. That's right. And. And, you know, and, and they had fewer deaths, you know, especially compared with California, the most restrictive state. California had, had more COVID deaths, and they also had more deaths overall, this excess mortality among young people, not from COVID, but from, you know, from causes related to the lockdowns. And so um, I do hope that someone is going to investigate this. You know, the history is not a great guide. I mean, population crisis 
last century, which all all these leading scientists were taking out full page ads in the New York Times, oh, yeah. and and there were these horrible you know violations of human rights you where bet. women were forcibly yep. sterilized, yep. forced abortions, yep. um, and yet. You know the people who are responsible for that never really suffered. No, no, um, they know, just you know, stay in these uh, jobs and and continue on. That's right. Uh, we're talking to John Tierney uh, from the City Journal. John, last last real big question I have for you on this: your sense of things. Uh, I've heard this from Alex Berenson, and I've heard it from others. Do you worry that some of this was an experiment, whether it was intentional or accidental, some of this was an experiment to see what they could get the American to do in anything they might declare a crisis? You understand that point, I think. Right. I mean, I think people— It's racism, it's environmentalism, the next crisis that will lend itself to— Exactly. This was a dress rehearsal for global warming. And there were people saying this is a great paradigm shift. I mean, at the start of the epidemic, Fauci didn't think it would be possible politically to lock down American cities. And yet the the crisis industrial complex did such a great Mm -hmm. job of fear-mongering that people surrendered all these freedoms. And so you have progressives now saying this is a blueprint for dealing with climate change. We have to sacrifice all these freedoms. So it's very frightening that way. And and I do hope that, you know, that uh, the people come to see that it was not a precedent. It was a horrible mistake. Can I now say that there is a contributing columnist to the New York Times who is using my phraseology? Am I able to? <laughs> can yes. I, uh, can yes. I, I got yes, a phrase adopted by a contributor to the New York Times. Can I, can yes, I now brag can. about that after this interview? Absolutely. I, I. John Tierney, I, 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 um, I hope this can be a down payment and we can visit again very soon. As I said, I've been a longtime fan of your work and we had limited time today, but I just I couldn't not try and get you on the show to promote this piece. Again, folks, the panic pandemic at City Journal City dash journal dot org our guest john tierney john i i thank you very much thank you seth we will call you again i'm seth leapson 602-508-0960 be right back welcome back to the seth leapson show 602-508-0960 lisa is in phoenix hi lisa hey how are you seth i'm fine how are you Good. I enjoy your show and all of the guests you have on, Thanks. and they're very thought-provoking. And hey, um, I was just reading about Dr. Fauci's work and uh, the gain-of-function research that he's doing. So I mentioned that to somebody, and they didn't know what gain-of-function was yep. or is. Yep. So it's forcing that virus by genetic manipulation to jump to humans when it never would have. And I was also reading that the uh, Department of Defense has eight or nine labs in different parts of the world that are doing the same thing. Yet President Obama stopped that research with Fauci, I believe, in 14, because he said it was too dangerous. And my compliments to President Obama. He thought it was too dangerous. And yet it continued and it continues today. So if that virus was genetically manipulated, and we also know that those bats were a thousand miles from Wuhan, we also know that the Chinese actually nailed the doors of the people who had it, who were really sick so that they couldn't get out of their apartments. And we also know that they isolated 
Chinese people from Wuhan. Yeah, experts. Right. Right. Yeah. They they isolated Chinese people from traveling in China, but they allowed them to go to the United States and Italy and all around the world. Right. So don't we have complicity in doing research apparently against the president's directive and also the Chinese? So we have a hand in it with Dr. Fauci and his friends and also the Chinese who spread it. So... If that virus was lab-created, who's to say that this T variant? We also know that viruses tend to deteriorate over time. Otherwise, we'd have the flu year-round instead of just the winter. So this new variant that's worse, or at least they're saying is worse, is that lab-created too? Hmm. Why is there no discussion about all of this? Right. Thank you for this, Lisa. And let me um, let me tell you that we'll have a more expert person who I will run these questions by joining us in studio in the third hour, Lewis Hallman. He's he's an expert on knowing all of this and has done some research on the history of gain of function and all that. One, first of all, uh, it is, I think, a sign of the times and it's just worth commenting when you say a lot of people don't know what gain of function is, of course. And I have to be honest with you until about, I don't know, four months ago, I didn't know what it was. Uh, I I just hadn't. uh, It's not my field and I didn't know what it was. I think I have a pretty good handle on it now. And I think if you watch the hearing uh, elements of which I'll play in the next segment or two that took place today in, in the Senate between Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci, you listen carefully to Anthony Fauci's answers. Um, they are defensive, but they are not explanatory. They do not answer Senator Rand Paul. They simply devolve into invective, where Fauci says you don't know what you're talking about, but he doesn't go on to explain. Um, that's not the way um, hearings should work. It's certainly not the way I operate. Have I ever said to a caller, you don't know what you're talking about? I don't think so. But if I did, I certainly would have made my case. Um, you put a lot out there, Lisa, and I think the most important part you said was the U.S. has complicity here, which I agree with. I think the U.S. has a lot of complicity here. It didn't originate the virus, but too many American leaders in government, federal, state, Local, too many, far too many exacerbated the situation in America. Can't speak to the rest of the world, except I know that it will have deleterious effects, to put it no higher, on many parts of the world, primarily the children who are impoverished in Africa, who we were able to lift out of poverty and lift out of disease based on the engine of our capital and the ability for Americans to generate um, not only good products, but the money with which to research, deploy, and uh, distribute them. So I think the U.S. is complicit in a lot of this. As far as complicity in helping fund it, I don't know if we're ever going to know. I just don't know if we're ever going to know. When the... Masters of the universe, from the World Health Organization to the CDC to Facebook, I think we have to include Facebook these days, Twitter as well, when they censor 
a concept of discussion like they did with the Wuhan lab origin story. Only to release that censorship, as Facebook did, then seemingly within the next two to three weeks, having government officials saying, yeah, it's possible, having them backtrack on their earlier denials of it, you not only see a collusion, but you see a collusion based on ignorance, simply because Donald Trump speculated on the notion the entire rest of the journalist and professional scientific elite progressive community went nuts, and they decided if Trump says it, it can't be, and hence censored us from understanding the origins of this. Uh, you saw that with Kamala Harris. If, if, if Trump says take the vaccine, I'm not taking it. Uh, interesting, interesting line for someone who seems to be concerned about vaccine hesitancy and politicizing the disease. But I think your fingers, Lisa, right on a lot of this, a lot of this. Um, but to say the U.S. didn't have complicity either in perhaps funding its origins by accident um, is one thing. I don't know that we'll get to the bottom of it. I hope we can. I really hope we can. I happen to think that whether we were complicit there or not, we were certainly complicit in making things an awful lot worse here when we didn't have to. We didn't have to because there were a lot of dissenting voices saying we didn't have to. And I suppose at the end of the day, the price for being right is appearing to be wrong at the time. 602-508-0960. Be right back. Little Jersey Boys there for you on the Seth Leapson Show. Uh, I want to give you an update on the Larry Elder candidacy for governor. He is in court in uh, suing the Secretary of State of California in what I and a few others. Are there a few others? Maybe I'm the only one. <coughs> I'm calling elder abuse in California. We'll talk about that when we come back in the next segment a little bit more. First, I did want to follow up on the Fauci, Anthony Fauci contratant uh, with, um, with Rand Paul today i um i want to i want to play just a little bit of it if i can get chris to play a little of that fauci Rand paul from today chris if you wouldn't mind viruses that in nature only infect animals were manipulated in the wuhan lab to gain the function of infecting humans this research fits the definition of the research that the NIH said was subject to the pause in 2014 to 2017, a pause in funding on gain of function. But the NIH failed to recognize this, defines it away, and it never came under any scrutiny. Dr. Richard E. Bright, a molecular biologist from Rutgers, described this research in Wuhan as, the Wuhan lab used NIH funding to construct novel chimeric SARS-related coronaviruses able to infect human cells and laboratory animals. This is high-risk research that creates new potential pandemic pathogens, potential pandemic pathogens that exist only in the lab, not in nature. This research matches, these are Dr. Ebright's words, this research matches, indeed epitomizes, the definition of gain-of-function research done entirely in Wuhan for which there was supposed to be a federal pause. 
Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. So what was, let me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its yeah. transmissibility to humans, right. you're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. Let's okay, you get NIH. one person. Let's read from the NIH definition of gain of function. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals, and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function? It is not. It's a dance, and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for 4 million people dying around the world okay. from a pandemic. And let's let Dr. Fauci. I have to, well, now you're getting into something. If the point that you are making is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a sub-award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. It did I come from the lab, but you, all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator, because if you look at the viruses that were used in the experiments that were given in the annual reports that were published in the literature. Okay, that's enough for the purposes of illustration. He is now getting into something that no one can possibly understand. Notice, no, notice what I meant when I said all he could do was offer invective. Um, he is telling Ron, Rand Paul he does not know what he is talking about, and he wants to say it in his official capacity. Well, why not then just answer the question and give us the definition, Dr. Fauci? If Rand Paul's definition is wrong and you say he's wrong and, not, and doesn't know what he's talking about, why not offer up the definition? By the way, did you find the locution, quote, I have never lied before the Congress odd? I think that's an odd locution. I would, I think, have said, I've never lied to Congress. No, I have never lied before the Congress. Do you know why he put it that way? I have a suspicion I know why he put it that way. And the reason I think he put it that way is he is on record, on record, about lying about the virus. Do you remember when he was talking about we needed 60 to 70 percent um, uh, uh, for her, uh, infection vaccination for, for herd immunity? And then he moved it to 70, 75 percent and then 80, 85 percent. And then he said 75 to 80 plus. He admitted he moved the goalposts because he wasn't sure the American people could handle the real number. For all your air conditioning needs, I want you to check out my friends at Cool Touch Air Conditioning and Plumbing. By the way, they're open seven days a week, 24 hours a day available. I know I've had to deploy that necessity uh, this is the company I use. It's the company my friends use. Cool Touch Air Conditioning and Plumbing is a great 
great company. Members of my family use them here as well. And they right now want me to um, tell you about a great new unit they have that saves a lot on your energy bill. It's as if you have a dimmer switch on your air conditioning unit that maintains the exact temperature you want so it doesn't have to power surge on and off to keep the temperature you want. And if you decide you like this system, they're offering a $2,000 rebate on it. But for any new system, repair, inspection, or plumbing issues, Cool Touch is the company you want. Their customer service, legendary. You have to experience it to know what I'm talking about. Give them a call at 623-734-1932. That's 623-734-1932. Or visit them online at cooltouchac.com. Cooltouchac.com. As we were going out in that last segment, I was just making the point that I thought it was an interesting locution. My ear is a little sensitive to these things, I suppose, over the years as a speechwriter. But it's an interesting locution to say what Anthony Fauci said today. I have never lied before the Congress. Um, There are many better ways to say it that aren't weird. (coughs) That's just a weird way to put it. One easier way to say it is I didn't lie to Congress. (coughs) When Rand Paul asked him, excuse me, when Rand Paul asked him, if he did, I have never lied before the Congress. But it comes, it comes with a high, gra- uh, with a large grain of salt, if not um, perhaps a rock of Gibraltar-sized sal- uh, block of salt, uh, because Anthony Fauci has lied to the American people and admitted he didn't use the word. He said he shifted the goalposts deliberately. Well, I think he's lying when you're talking about a public health crisis. You are the expert that has been designated by the media and the government to inform the American people of the goings-on with this health crisis. And you tell people that you need a 60 to 70 percent level of COVID infection vaccination to achieve herd immunity, only to then find a month later you're saying 70, 75 percent, only to then hear a week later— 75, 80, 85 percent, these are all in quotes, and 75 to 80 plus percent. When asked about it, he confessed. He confessed. He said, we we really don't know what the real number is, but I didn't think the American people would go for the high 75 to 80 number, which is why I sort of moved the goalposts. Sort of. Sort of moved the goalposts. Thanks. Thanks for lying to us. This this is a this is a pattern. This is a pattern uh, with the progressive left and their leadership. I don't know if you're picking up on it, but I certainly am. And it's and it and it begins with uh, the government um, not trusting you to take care of yourself or know what's best for you and your family. It's the government being so intrusive that not only does it tell you you can no longer enjoy the privileges of citizenship, such as going to work, travel, or going to church, some of or synagogue or mosque, some of these are not privileges, but actual rights, actual rights, that you we can't trust you enough to engage in your right, unless you are exercising the right on behalf of BLM, because that was another equa- Danger, equally dangerous health crisis, we were told. Um, I don't know what reason they give us to actually trust them. But that notion 
Um, there are a series of other notions where the government's paternalism uh, is um, is 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 uh, is stepping in where individual autonomy and sovereignty used to be the order and rule of the day. But I, I, I do want you to think about this in, in so many aspects, and it includes these what I call experiments to see what the American people are willing to put up with if they are turned into automatons. And at a certain point, at a certain point, going back to this very interesting call from Lisa earlier, uh, we have to blame ourselves for accepting this. Now, I'm not going to blame our country for accepting this, even though so many of my fellow countrymen did, because I'm going to tell you there were other ways to go. There were other directions to go. Uh, Dr. McCary at Johns Hopkins, uh, even, believe it or not, early on, early on, what's his name, Friedman, Thomas Friedman at the New York Times was talking about why don't we just isolate and uh, mitigate the damage that would happen with the elderly rather than punish and quarantine the entirety of society. But think think about that paternalism, about what you can and cannot eat. You saw this with Michael Bloomberg in New York when he was mayor, to what you can and cannot say. You see this with Jen Psaki uh, and their Surgeon General's collusion with social media. And now they tell us not only what you can and cannot say, but equally so at the same time concomitantly what you can and cannot hear, which is why faculty departments at such esteemed universities as Stanford can have ex-cathedra denunciations of one of their own faculty members like Scott Atlas because he doesn't tow the Stanford progressive paternalistic leftist line. There's a lot of this going on right now. And the question becomes, is this... Is this the um, legacy? Is this the legacy of the overwhelming and overweening welfare state of the great society? You don't need a father. You don't need a husband. You need the government. And if you take on a father or a husband, government subvention will stop. You are practically endowing through encouragement, enticement, and bribery, people to already disrupt the Western notion of the family. You don't need a BLM curricula to disrupt the Western family. Our government has done a really good job of it just fine, thank you very much. By the way, if you think this attitude isn't what is motivating what I'm calling elder abuse in California, that is to say the political machinations being used to keep Larry Elder off the ballot for the uh, special election in California. If you think this isn't all of one piece, it certainly is. There's nothing Larry wants to do more than return sovereignty to the citizens of America, starting with the citizens of California. Freedom isn't just a theme in America. And it's not just something we ask about in a national anthem. It's actually the essence of our founding and who we are. 
big surprise then, isn't it, that the progressive left wants to change that founding's meaning as well as that founding's date. Freedom is not their friend. It is their enemy. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-5080-960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. You know, it's interesting what one brave and articulate soldier can do in changing the conversation. Rand Paul being an example of it. Uh, Yesterday, the conversation, national conversation, seemed to be much involved with issues of vaccine hesitancy. Today, we're back to the origin story because of uh, the, um, the force of Rand Paul. Let me just take a step back beyond the merits of Rand Paul's argument, if I can, and ask you all in the audience who are conservative or Republican, Understanding that maybe, Rand Paul, you don't agree with 100 percent on 100 things, but on the important stuff, you know, maybe he has an angle. And on COVID, regardless, maybe he's got this right because he's been proven more right than the experts we were told to listen to. Just the idea that you have 50 Republican senators, one of whom is Rand Paul, who is able to do this and does do this routinely— And there are a couple others. I don't want to give short shrift to some of them. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley. I would name two more. But let's say there's five senators like that. Ron Johnson. Let's say there's five senators like that out of 50. That's probably five more. No, that's wrong. But it's certainly two more than Reagan had on his side with his agenda. When... We have five out of 50 who know how to throw the punch the Democrats universally throw and know how to throw and know how to make an argument and know what they're talking about. Um, Doesn't it worry you? Doesn't it worry you just a little bit? My project here is to get a Senate of a majority of Republicans— who are like Rand Paul, who actually want to make news because news needs to be made. I want House members like Schweikert and Lesko and Biggs who make news and challenge the left because news needs to be made and the left needs to be challenged. How many Republicans are there like those three? Five more, starting with Jim Jordan? Five more? Doesn't it worry you? Shouldn't we be stronger than this? I raise the question because when we are at when we ask, why can't we do better? Why can't we be stronger? This is why. This is why. We sincere, serious conservatives have never been the majority of our party, and it's time to make us so. Lou Holman coming up. We'll be right back. <laughs> 